0: Hello
1: and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and its associated websites, the driven and one step off the grid. And joining me as he does every week on the Energy Insiders podcast is ITK analyst David Leach. David, I trust you are well.
2: I am well, thanks, Charles. I trust uh, uh, you're well and our guests are well. And uh, following the ever uh, interesting electricity debate and we've got what I think a very well-informed uh, guest to talk about, to join us this week, don't we? Well,
1: we're about to find out um, how well-informed he is. Yes, um, it's my great pleasure to welcome um, Tom Geiger from um, Rondo Energy. He's the country manager of Wonder Rondo Energy. Um, Tom, thanks very much for joining the Energy
3: Insiders podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here.
1: Tom, you have been working for years with the French renewable developer NeoN and been very involved in some of the extraordinary uh, success that that company has had. What has prompted you to give up a job with possibly the most successful renewable energy and storage developer in Australia to go with a company developing storage of a completely different kind?
3: It's uh, a tough question. So I am a little sad to be leaving all my friends at NeoN um, but I thought it was an opportunity too good to pass up. Um, I've been dreaming about flexible loads for a very long time now, both from a system perspective. Us
2: nerds do have some funny dreams, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do.
3: Um, I'm very interested in you know, looking at oversizing renewables and what to do with some of that excess energy, and I think flexible loads are an incredible opportunity in avoiding uh, the need for system upgrades and firming and whatnot, but also from the customer end of things, just the fact that off-peak power is already cheaper than gas, it puts us in a position where a previously hard to decarbonize sector suddenly becomes a little easier.
1: Well, you better start telling us things very quickly about your technology, if I can just brief, um, sort of um, summarise it very briefly. It's a, a heat battery, basically taking... Very old technology, basically using sort of heated bricks. Um, you know, when I go and visit my sister-in-law in the Blue Mountains, we get a um, a, a river a river rock sort of um, taken, put it in the fire, heat it up, and we take it to bed to to warm the warm the heat. I'm not too sure if that's quite the same technology as you're you're proposing, but it's probably the same sort of principle. Um, tell us the tell us what the Rondo technology is.
3: It's it's a very similar principle, but we're all about getting rid of burning stuff. Um, so it is. Uh, a kind of refractory brick. It's been used in the steel industry for over 150 years. It's considered one of the, the big leaps forward in steel production was the um, invention of the kalper stove, which is basically um, this ceramic kind of brick. It's made out of very common elements. You have three big stacks and you recycle your hot exhaust gases through them to recuperate the heat for your intake gases that you're putting into your furnace and it massively improves efficiency. And we want to do the same thing, but without the, um, without the burning of coal. So we've got the same material and it has a a different form factor. We've been working with, a someone who produces this kind of ceramic at large scale scales very easily, um, to produce a form factor that's suitable to be heated with electricity. And then basically it's toaster wire, um, in an insulated box with these bricks.
1: So, so we'll go into sort of details a bit further further on, um, but basically you're using, the proposal then is to use renewables, wind and solar to sort of heat these bricks and have these very hot bricks sitting there and uh, able to create steam for use whenever, for industrial heat and that solves a large part potentially of a hard to abate technologies. But if this is technology that's been around for 100, 150 years, why is it not until now that people seem, Let's people sort of see a commercial application. I mean, what has to? What are the breakthroughs that suddenly make this an interesting technology for for industry?
3: Yeah, and it's really about the growth of renewable energy and the, the plummeting of costs. The, the The reason why it's so attractive for us in Australia is just that off peak prices can be so low, um, potentially negative. Okay, that's probably not sustainable in the long term. Nevertheless, very low. Zero marginal cost means very, very cheap, off-peak. Being able to capture that simply means that you're able to uh, be cheaper than fossil fuels on on a very regular basis. Um, And that, that really didn't exist before, right? It never really made sense. If you were buying electricity made by a coal power plant with all of the inefficiencies of that steam turbine and distribution and all the rest of that, it made more sense to just burn the coal directly and avoid all of those infrastructure costs.
2: Yeah, so we're really talking about process heat, um, uh, would be the sort of, aren't we, uh, Tom? That's right.
3: And it's a pretty big chunk. uh,
2: It is. And I think the total process heat consumption in Australia of all sorts is about 700 petajoules worth of energy. Uh, And I think about 500 petajoules of that basically comes from Uh, coal and gas for the most parts providing heat and uh, that 500 petajoules I think equates roughly to 200 terawatt hours which is itself approximately the current Australian electricity consumption just to give some numbers. Now I think I also read Tom that uh, the bricks can store, uh, can be heated up to 1500 degrees centigrade and then we'll lose that heat at about 1% a day or something. Can you just run me through that? Yeah, that's right.
3: The process is very efficient. So on the input efficiency, the resistor itself is basically 100% efficient. The output efficiency is very nearly 100% efficient. We need to um, run a little motor to blow some air around and that consumes almost nothing. And all of the losses are really through the skin so on a total cycle basis we're talking about 98 percent efficient
2: that's right but the difficulty with process heat is always that as soon as you've got to move that heat from one place to another this is the first difficulty uh it 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 becomes a problem so you really want to consume the process heat uh right where you right where it's stored don't you
3: absolutely we're not (laughs) we're not proposing to have steam transmission uh, running across the nation, we we basically have to be located right next to our customer, and that has some challenges. You need a bit of land. The energy density is um, excellent, but nevertheless, you need some space to put something down. Um, so you know, we're yeah. not we're not trying to uh, deliver heat to high rise office buildings in the CBD. We're looking more for
2: um, factories. Your aluminum, your aluminum refineries and stuff, which I'll get Absolutely. onto the. Uh, other uh, way in which we in the renewable industry have often thought about process heat is to produce electricity using steam but the economics of that run into a problem don't they that the turbines that run on the steam are essentially inefficient compared to using the electricity directly uh, through the solar uh, panels and stuff Uh, do do you want to comment on that
3: yeah so we're not we have some interesting niches for power we're certainly not particularly interested in like complete green fields energy storage only for electricity back to electricity Um, i think there's sort of two niches that i think are really interesting in australia the first one is for if you've got a heat need um, combined heat and power becomes quite attractive because you're basically taking off-peak electricity and turning it into baseload electricity and baseload heat, that has a particularly good value in Australia. And if you've got that heat demand there and you right-size your uh, steam turbine, then we're talking about a 95% efficiency um, and that that still makes a lot of sense. If you took that heat demand away though, then you're really only going to get to 40% efficient. Yeah. Um, and then at that case you should just say okay well just get a lithium battery it's going to be more efficient you might not have the same duration associated with it but it's it's more suitable for a power only task
2: yeah N- nevertheless the, the the storing the heat you know only losing 1% a day is is really says it's a quite a long duration technology in in that sense but i just wanted to talk about the general economics and why i guess we haven't already seen more of this and uh i th- i think i'm right in saying that a gigajoule uh it, it takes about uh, i'll get this some wrong uh but there's about uh 3.7 gig 2.7 gigajoules per megawatt hour is 2.7 i think 2.6 3.6 3.6 excuse me so uh uh uh, when electricity costs $100 a megawatt hour, effectively, you're talking about the equivalent of $25 a gigajoule for gas. Is, is that roughly, or even a little more, is that roughly how I should think about it?
3: Yeah, and that's really been the challenge in history. You know, if you were looking at an electric boiler and saying, which is pretty easy to do, it's, it's not a challenging piece of equipment to acquire and to operate. But the price differential just never made any sense because you'd look at it and say, "Okay, I have my gas boiler. Do I really want to pay three or four times as much for gas, depending on when it was? And the answer was always no. Uh, And the difference that we have now is simply that you you can actually acquire electricity uh, for a significantly cheaper price as long as you're able to uh, selectively purchase that power and gas prices have gone up as well, as you can understand. So Australia, certainly when talking to my uh, colleagues from the EU and from the US, it's they all comment, oh, wow, Australia, you know, the country where the fundamentals make the most sense. Uh, Sorry about your policy uh, situation.
2: Yeah. Uh, And and so, you know, with gas at like. 12 or 15 Aussie dollars a gigajoule, the sort of competitive electricity price before we think about the thermal storage costs themselves is somewhere up around the 50 to 60 Aussie dollars a megawatt hour. Is that kind of a way to think about it? That's right. And... and. Now let's uh, talk about the industries, Giles. I- I'm talking a lot, but so you should you should tell me to uh, shut up in well, a minute. But
1: well, I was I was I was about to ask actually which industries. But first, before we get into the industries, I just want to know what this actually looks like. I mean, you're talking about ceramic bricks. Are so we talking about you're talking about energy dense? Um, Situations you're talking about a lot of storage for a refinery or, or wherever else it is that you're going to put it. So, does it come in containers? What, what, what um give, give our listeners some idea what it, what it looks like?
3: Okay, so one of one of our modules is like a ten meter by ten meter cube, more or less, and that stores a hundred to one hundred and thirty megawatt hours. So. That's quite a lot of energy in a 10 square metre base. It's a a little larger than that. I'm probably exaggerating. Um, That's pretty good. That's certainly better than uh, lithium. Mm. Um, But it's – okay, that's not a very fair comparison because it's electric versus heat. Mm. And it just looks quite boring, to be honest. It's, you know (laughs) – a steel, a steel. All the best businesses box. are
2: so boring. <laughs>
3: that's the that's what attracted me to Rondo was certainly um, everything about it. The most is boring extre- company in the world <laughs> is ex- is extremely dumb, and dumb is good.
1: Uh, well, look there you go. Okay, so look, let's imagine you've got a big refinery or something like that. You want to provide or, or or some sort of factory or or something that you're going to be providing heat for. I mean, how many of these ten by ten meter blocks do you need? I suppose that depends on the size of your customer. But um, are we going to have yeah. multiples of these?
3: There's a there's a huge range in scale, right? So you might, I've seen a lot of uh, customers, you know, from offering energy um, electricity, uh, where you know you might have a small or medium sized manufacturer might have a megawatt of electrical consumption and five megawatts of um, gas consumption. So the the there's most of their energy is coming usually from heat, in, depending on the circumstance. So that's for them is, you know, one of these modules is, is enough to su- support a customer like that to the uh, opposite end of the scale is that the very biggest customers, they're going to need 100 of these modules or fewer of the, the larger modules that we offer. Okay. So sure. it's, it's pretty, it's amazing how much some of these people consume.
1: Okay, it's like a high capital cost thing. Is it sort of one of these things which is a bit like a battery and wind and solar, which is high capital cost but low operating costs? I mean what's the? How do people? How should people think about this?
3: the The operating cost of the units themselves is extremely low. So, the like the maintenance cost, I should say. The the, but really the opex is what you're buying electricity for.
2: Um, and that. So it's the battery. spread, just like a battery that we're talking about. The, the yeah. That-
3: What's, and we always talk about, you know, the 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 bottom six hours, which was, or you know, the first quartile prices. What is the during a day you want to charge up? You want to use the cheapest hours. You need, but you need a certain amount of en- to get a certain amount of energy in. Um, what's the price that you can pay for the bottom six hours, and what
2: and um, and, and you have to you have to over um, overpower. Um, the, the if you're running an electric boiler and you're running on very low-cost solar, the first thing you've got to do is actually run your process and then you've also got to charge your storage for the, you know, like uh, 14 hours when you actually don't have your solar energy. So you need more input power, won't you, basically? Yeah. Uh, so what, one of the advantages
3: that, that we have is that we can um, charge and discharge simultaneously. So we can use a little bit less storage. Um, definitely there are many hours in the day where you have to run off storage because there's no cheap energy available. Uh,
2: Unless you've also got some cheap wind or something as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just coming back to the industries, I mean, uh, when we look at the really big consumers and we mentioned this already, Illumina, Is the first one. They consume over 200 petajoules of gas a year, alumina refineries, which is more than all the residential gas consumption. Uh, And then the next, uh, I think, would probably be the steel industry, but then you've got to build completely new steel technology. Uh, And the alumina refineries are very old. And then the third one, I suppose, is the oil and gas industry, if you look at it in terms of the actual volume. And who wants to repower an oil and gas operation anyway?
3: Oh, I'm not sure I'll answer the last one, but yeah the the alumina is certainly a big target for us, and we have a lot of interest in alumina simply just because of the a lot of what they're using is steam. It's very easy to integrate, like you mentioned, some of those metals processes it's It's hard to sort of incrementally uh, adjust to these newer technologies that we're proposing. So, you know, it's easy to do 1% hydrogen. But in the long run, hydrogen is not going to it doesn't make sense to do 100% hydrogen, but if you it's difficult to do 1% electric in your gas furnace. But if you want to go 100% electric, then you need to rework a lot of things. And then uh, we just think that people are going to um, have difficulties with that until we're a more proven technology.
1: And, and so realistically, whereabouts are you going to see? I mean, you've, um, your company has just raised um, a significant amount of money um, to sort of fund the rollout of sort of more sort of demonstration or pilot plants or your first commercial scale plants. Perhaps you sort of talk about what it is that you've actually got up and running in the US. And so realistically, yeah. how are you going to have to approach the um, the Australian market after explaining what you've got in the US? I mean, you'd be looking presumably for a, you know, a, a a, a, a small demonstration plant in Australia or are you just going to jump in big with someone?
3: I mean, our, our modules are already pretty big, so we it's not starting out too small. Um, so maybe I'll just I'll start with what we've got in the US. So we have um, a demonstration plant that's operating. It's been operating continuously since the start of the year. So uh, things that are important to our well, important to us, but mostly important to our customers is Um, being able to integrate easily so that um, they're not having too much downtime. So we managed to integrate into their process without them shutting down. It's an ethanol refinery, by the way. And then continuous operation, right? People don't wanna be mucking around with having something that does it, that switches off when they least expect it, that doesn't work. Um, And then there's a couple more projects that are under construction at full scale in California as well.
1: Okay, and, and and in Australia, where where would you see the first customers? I mean, you might not sort of go leap straight into the aluminium refine the alumina refineries. Maybe there's some um, some other businesses out there that um, might be interested.
3: It's well, I mean, I would be happy to, um, but <laughs> it would be you know we'd be doing one percent of their plant. We wouldn't right. be doing a hundred percent. There's plenty of in industries that are interesting so a lot of like abattoirs
2: beverage. meat processing plants and those sorts of things i mean they yeah have, they have...
3: i just uh, spoke to an abattoir today actually and it was a very suitable application what they've got um you know a lot of these people use a lot of steam um food in particular uses a lot of steam uh paper and recycling use a lot of steam although they do at least for the primary paper production. They have a lot of waste biomass, so they produce a lot of their own heat, but nevertheless, they do consume a fair bit of gas. Yeah. And,
1: and and that's the problem uh, at the moment. They're just paying millions for the gas and they just want a cheaper alternative. And you're able to come along and sort of say, we can do that.
3: That's right. Yeah. A lot of people are either paying a lot for gas, even with the price cap, the gas price is still pretty um, expensive. Um, and some people just can't get access to gas, right? You know, they they might want to grow their business uh, and they may simply not have access to, um, you know, retailers might just say, sorry, the shop's closed. We yeah. don't want to sell it to so, you.
1: So if Mr Abattoir Owner comes up to you next tomorrow and says, so I had a bit of think about your proposal, let's do it. I mean, how quickly can can you get this up and running?
3: In terms of construction? Mm-hmm. So the real lead time for us is on the transformers. So we... The construction is sh- takes less time, but we're looking at sort of at least a year to actually order a transformer and get it delivered.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So this technology is pretty much ready to roll out, and so if you landed some contracts, you could get up and running in the next year or two, which I guess is the similar sort of you know thing that you might have for for lithium-ion battery.
3: Yeah. the 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 point that we're at is really we want to start getting yeah. getting some sales the um rick factory is already up and running we can produce two and a half gigawatt hours per annum you've and got, that'll and, be ramping up too. And,
1: and we should mention you've got some pretty fancy shareholders in there too haven't you
3: we do yeah There's some excellent
1: well, well, um, give us some names
3: um so scg is a is one of our partners who they're also producing the bricks they're a ceramics and <laughs> yeah. cement company uh, there's a big u.s cement company called titan um, breakthrough energy ventures which is sort of um,
1: bill gates isn't it
3: bill gates and microsoft oh, i i can't remember the exact association i should know that mm-hmm. um
1: you can keep and, and rio tinto okay so i mean might they be a customer
3: they <laughs> might well be i really hope so
1: because <laughs> they've got refineries and everything in in, in australia yeah. so yes
2: that's right. Paul, yeah. let, let's just talk a little bit more uh, um about the actual thing itself first of all we've talked about the bricks but what about the uh balance of system costs i mean the the walls that contain the heat and and as you say the transformers and things i mean Uh, do you want to is that all that stuff well established i mean are there any uh, unpleasant surprises and what's the development path of this technology been? why have you changed the shape Uh, you know this is the the prototype plants up and running i guess but is this really the first prototype plant or is it about the 13th one
3: (laughs) has been a lot of i don't i'm not super familiar with the entire history but i know that there's been a significant amount of work this sort of it hasn't come out of nowhere. There's been a lot of iteration, certainly in the design uh, testing of the materials and making sure that everything um, operates at high temperature and doing a lot of accelerated lifetime testing and whatnot. Um,
2: Because there's been a lot of uh, other uh, solar, uh, sorry, heat uh, storage technologies. We've had, uh, I think graphite, and, uh, um, um, and uh, molten salt and things like that. Um, I like the idea of bricks, but, uh, and you can go up to 1,500 C, which is most process heat, I think, isn't it? Uh, but maybe you could yeah. just talk a little bit about the heat storage media.
3: It's It's been a long sort of um, journey for me. So it's actually, I know the Rondo founders because, we worked at a solar thermal company together 15 years ago. I was an intern uh, in R and D working on um, storage media for the heat. And um, PV got cheap, and there was the GFC, and solar thermal started to look pretty hard. And they were thinking, okay, well, people want the thermal storage; they're very interested to talk about thermal storage but they don't really want the heat to be delivered by solar thermal using what we know about all of they've tried a million different things that didn't work Um, let's start from scratch what is the thermal storage media that we know will work and has been proven to work what are the what are the dumb solutions um, if we're taking solar thermal out of the equation, and so you know, the solar thermal, you need all these fancy liquids and materials because you need heat transfer and you've got to move it around. And if you simplify it and you've just got a resistor in, and you're you're just starting with a resistor, you have some, you have more options available, and that's good because some of those are are cheaper and proven.
2: So, so and, s- and I think, oh, sorry, Giles, I'll just ask one quick more one. I think when we we talk about costs. I think lithium storage at the moment costs in the order of uh, 600 Aussie dollars per, or maybe 650 even per kilowatt hour of, uh, of battery capacity. Um, I expect this kind of storage would be less than half of that price or something. I mean, did you I mean, want to... Yeah, wait? Less than that, much less, less, less. like an, oh. order, an order of magnitude less. An order of magnitude less so that's a tenth, so we're, we're talking sixty, 70 80 Aussie dollars a, a kilowatt hour uh, I don't want I don't want to comment on the
3: specifics, but it's nowhere it's nowhere near the cost of lithium and it, it can't be right we, we, it's we're doing a lesser application. We have to be cheaper.
2: yes because lithium lithium's producing electricity whereas all you're doing all you're doing is producing heat or storing heat. Correct. Mm.
1: I'm kind of fascinated by that sort of transition that you sort of talked about from solar thermal, where you're sort of talking about you know reflectors and solar tunnel tano- towers and then sort of storing it in various media and things like that. And we've had a couple of um, sort of aborted attempts. I think there was a solar thermal array at Liddell, and there was another one that was going to be built. I don't think it was ever completed at Cogan Creek. And now you kind of so that's, subs- that's,
3: com- that's the company that that's we the uh ah, we work there you for. go Osra that's right yeah yes
1: i remember yes of course um um fascinating stuff and and now we've just gone back to using pv um, pv modules and bricks
3: pv and bricks pretty pretty (laughs) simple The sun and
2: bricks uh, Charles, it's pretty familiar it's... to most Australians. You won't run any, even in Queensland, they'll get that idea. Oh, excuse uh, me, Queenslanders.
1: Uh, that's very good. Hey, look, we were talking about steam turbines before, and this might be a segue to our next little topic of the conversation, but um there's a few st- st- steam turbines sort of um or boilers sort of um hanging around um in some old gas generators and some coal generators. Have you got any application opportunities for for that?
3: Yeah, that's was the upper op- application that I didn't get onto. I think it's quite interesting in Australia. We've had a lot of interest in the US. Um, certainly, they've got a lot of old coal clunkers like we have kicking around where people are, are thinking, what can I do with this pretty much useless asset, It's at least in the US. They're a bit more uh, critical in Australia at the moment, um, given we haven't built out our backups. Um, I think it is pretty compelling. Um, because you you can bait if you've got the steam turbine already, if you've got the transformer already, um, if you've got the you know the connection point in the land and all of these other things, that saves on a lot of cost. The, the bricks themselves are pretty cheap. Um,
1: so you basically sort of hold the um, you hold the coal conveyor going into the um, in, 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 into the. Uh... and that's that's all the stuff that's broken yeah and um and you just deliver some some bricks heat them up and off you go you can do the same sort of thing but it won't be polluting i mean what how should people should we
3: we could you You could could. do a spectrum of it so i mean it depends on exactly what you want to do depends on the coal power plant owner right so you could go the whole hog and you could say we're gonna the the boiler is stuffed it's got pours all over the place, it's just not worth repairing. We need either need to start, you know, because most of the infrastructure that they've got that's wearing out is all of the, how do you burn the fuel stuff? The turbine and the transformer are probably okay. Um, so you could go the whole hog and you can say, okay, we're gonna tear down the boiler and we'll put some heat batteries in its place and we'll send the metal off to the scrap merchant. Um, at the other end of the scale you could say well i want to operate more flexibly i want to i want to reduce my minimum generation down and stop burning coal because you know most of these coal power plants are spending half the day in a break even or even an unprofitable position where they're just they're burning coal to to stand still they're not going anywhere so they'd rather not burn the coal in the middle of the day if they had the choice and we could give them that choice Uh, and then any ...scale in between there, right, you could go from you're just not burning coal in the middle of the day to you're not burning coal all during the weekend. Or you only burn to the other end of the scale, which is, you know, what you see in the UK where they are only switching the coal on two weeks a year when it's really critical and the rest of the year they're sitting around and. I like that model, except for the sitting around part um, where you've got an asset that's not being well utilized from a storage perspective that the penalty that we've got is that your, your steam turbine is only going to be so efficient. We can have, we actually have a better efficiency than the coal power plant because you don't have all of the losses in the boiler itself. So it but might be- nevertheless, you still have a big penalty. So you really, you want to be charging with very, very cheap energy. Mm. Um, okay. ideally it's negative and then it's not a penalty. It's a benefit to be inefficient, but like that's probably not sustainable. Um, so but on, the, on those periods of the year where the off peak prices are very high, then you probably do want to be burning fuel um, because you, it's not going to be competitive to charge for an right. expensive price.
1: So, so I'm not too sure whether you're sort of um, coming in to sort of rescue and sort of repair and sort of re- um... Oh, sort of what what's not not sort of repair, sort of, you know, sort of um sort of um make modern a, a an otherwise stranded asset, or whether you're gonna come in there and basically keep coal burning for longer than we would otherwise expect. Which is one of the big debates uh, we're having at yeah. the moment.
3: <laughs> Ideally we're not burning the fuel, um, but we might want to keep an insurance policy available um to be able to burn the fuel if we really want to. But yeah, I agree. I'm not exactly comfortable with the idea of half doing it and still burning half as much coal, but for three times as long, that's not ideal.
2: More to the point, Tom, I, I spent many, many years being a building materials analyst and visited clay brick factories, uh, uh, most of them in Australia, many of them, and also many in the United States every year.
1: Now we know why you uh, asked Tom back onto this podcast. You just want to talk about bricks yeah, again.
2: I, I do. And and what I what I want to know, as, uh, as one of my fellow analysts asked me <laughs> once, is are the left-handed bricks any more expensive?
3: Uh, they only sell right-handed bricks.
2: Oh, well, there you go. That, that's okay. Um, look, I think we've, we've talked a lot about Rondo for a company that doesn't have any sales in Australia just yet. Uh maybe, Giles, we should move on and, and discuss a company that has a lot of sales and wants to have a lot more, and this would be some of the big coal generators like uh, Loyang and Araring. Well,
1: um, I'd like to ask you what you make of it. So basically, Loyang A um, signed a deal, um, what was announced this week. Um, last week, we heard that they extended their contract with Alcoa in Portland to 2035. And this week, we hear that there's a, another secret deal with the State government to keep it or guarantee that we'll run until 2035. It was kind of tantalising. People were trying to tell me, "Oh no, no, this is kind of good because it's like a, it's a hard finish, but it could close earlier." But I mean, for it to close early, we're going to have to accelerate um, either renewables um and storage and transmission lines or use some of tom's brick technology um i'm not too sure i think i'll ask you about that one first david about the way you sort of see that deal on on loyang a is good bad or indifferent and then we might move on to a raring.
2: well I, I think i see loyang a is completely consistent with everything that happens in victoria that uh which is basically everything uh is subsidized right uh the, the wind and the solar is subsidized the coal generation is subsidized and um you know, our coa is subsidized to keep the Portland smelter going. Uh, it, you know, my question is, if you're not getting a subsidy, uh, what are you doing wrong in victoria? and <laughs> I, pretty, I actually feel sorry for the gas guys. the next they'll be asking for a subsidy soon because they spend a lot of time ramping as well, and life can get pretty difficult for them um, uh, look I, I I'm, and but I think over and beyond all of that, what is completely an um, I hesitate to criticise the Victorian uh, government that has done a huge amount of good, really. And, and, but I, I do think that doing these things in secre- secrecy with none of the details being disclosed is, is poor, right? I mean, uh, uh, at the very least, but you might complain about re- renewable energy targets and prices and we look at the VRET prices and they're too high or too low, but at least we know what they are. Uh, not having any idea what the subsidies are, and this goes not just for Law Yang, but also for your lawn, uh, I, I think is... Uh leads to a bad uh, environment.
1: Mm, okay. Eraring. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about the New South Wales um, Labor government since it took power and some of the mixed messages. Um, it seems sort of grimly determined to somehow produce an argument to keep eraring open, but it's not quite that easy, is it? Because it's probably got to get the um, agreement of origin and some sort of terms. I mean, at least this might, this might find out how much it's going to cost them to keep it open if that's really what they want to do. But um, I'm kind of a bit confused about what's happening here because um, AEMO came out with their um, updated electricity statement of opportunities in February. So basically there's no reliability or no chance, um, no risk of breaking the interim reliability uh, standard, which is pretty strict, um, before 2027. Um, And that would even be reduced if they deliver the battery storage tender, which is now underway and which since then has been tripled in size. So I'm not too sure what they're seeing or has been seen that could possibly justify keeping it open for longer when there's no reliability gap been um, identified.
2: Well, and, and uh, my question to you, Giles, is, is why will Origin close it? I mean, the, the, the question for Origin is complicated because they are subject to a takeover bid at the moment. And uh, in fact, the decisions uh, may not necessarily be made by the current management. That, that's the first problem. Uh, uh, the second problem that I see is that, in fact, Araring uh, is very profitable uh, on my numbers right now, um, uh, based on the amount of electricity that it actually produced last year. And uh, it has it is has it mount piper have historically been some of the most flexible generators in australia coal generators and have good ramping ability anyway um, um and and you know i estimate and published a, a note saying uh, suggesting it would be make quite reasonable money and then the third problem is that if it closes down right now uh, as as origin proposes to do then how Origin themselves will have a profitability problem uh, because they haven't replaced Arrang earnings with anything. They haven't signed new PAs. They've they've done nothing yet, uh, and, and and so their profits, if it closed instantly, would probably come under. Uh, would be weaker, in my opinion. So, well, they've had three. Years they to, they've had a couple pre-
1: of years to think about it and um, and things like that. So, so, your argument then is that um, New South Wales might not have to sort of go in there and force them to pay them anything. I mean, Orangia might be quite happy to keep it open for their own interests.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And the other side of that argument is that if Orangia does decide to go ahead and close it, it almost must be the case that there's enough supply around to do without it. Um, because otherwise, uh, Origin's customers will be in deep doo doo, right? <laughs> uh, and and, and uh, the, the the um um so I think they're the they're, they're the main points.
1: Tom, I'm just wondering. I mean, look, I know it's not your business, and you're probably reluctant to sort of make an um, observation about closing rowing or, or, or whatever. I mean, you would probably very much like to sell them some bricks, but um. You've been a sort of a manager of trading with Neoin. I mean, how are people sort of thinking about the markets when they're sort of looking at sort of, you know, rare enclosures and possible extensions? And as David says, you know, they've got to sort of sign up PPAs and things like that. I mean, what's, I, mean, I, I don't know, I mean, are you able to sort of give us some sort of insight into sort of what's going through their minds and how they manage that?
3: Maybe a few things. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly disruptive to have, you know, will they, won't they, what timeline, it's hard to make investment decisions when someone's saying either we're going to retract a lot of capacity or we won't and it's not very clear. Um, Certainly agree it's going to be challenging for Origin uh, to balance their book. Araring does a lot of the energy and a lot of the firming as well. They've got a lot of their firm capacity out of that unit. Um, In terms of the reliability for New South Wales, I think my my concern is just what happens if something extreme happens, you know, we, we aren't planning for.
2: Tail risk events. Of, Tail risk events, I think it's
3: Yeah. We're not planning for them, but they actually happen every 18 months. And so I'm a, just a little scared in general, uh, but especially about New South Wales that we sort of haven't built very much, um, or planned to build very much in the last years, decade. Yeah. Um, if if something goes wrong, we really don't have much um, capacity left to support uh, another crisis or the next crisis.
1: Well, that could very well be um, the argument that's either sort of presented by Emo and the ESU next week and also sort of, you know, taken by the the New South Wales government. Um,
2: A couple of other factors just to throw in there is that, uh, you know, historically, New South Wales is a net importer and... uh, more we should get more capacity in queensland once calide sea is eventually rebuilt and, and you know uh and, and that will provide a bit of extra uh, spare capacity and i don't know there's all these constraints in victoria new south wales uh maybe could um somehow help as well and then energy connect comes in but certainly not until well after uh, uh Araring yeah. is slated to close well we're so, the we're, we're, other thing about it, sorry Giles, just, just sorry sorry, it's just that no, it's just that you know this Cameron O'Reilly review, which we haven't seen yet, I mean it's all very well to talk about Araring, but the, we all know that the problem with Araring is going to go on forever uh, until we get new supply. I mean really what we would like this review to focus on is how we're going to get more new supply faster.
1: Yes, well, exactly that. I mean, because I think if a Raring is extended, and look, there might be sort of reasons to do it, and you sort of go into the porridge of the details, but basically it's a signal if it is extended that we've basically failed in doing what we've been planning to do for the last five or ten years, or what we should have been planning and doing, and that's getting enough capacity built. Someone?
2: Yeah, I think that's, uh, we've said that every week for about three months now, and I expect we'll be saying it every week for another three months.
1: Yeah. I mean, Tommy, I'd just like to get your perspective on this. I mean, NeoN has been actually one of the few companies, I know it's a former employer, but, um, and, and you probably don't want to talk too much about them, but they were sort of, you know, magnificently successful in actually getting stuff built, showing leadership in battery storage and other things like that. Um, why hasn't the rest of the industry been able to do the same thing?
3: I not really comment for the rest of the industry, um, seeing as I don't know, but i I think, yeah, Neon has been successful at, at, um, balancing risky stuff with a lot of their, um, pretty boring vanilla business. So they have, they have an interesting mix and I think that that's helped them, mm. um, takes, take some risk on certain flagship projects that, that has paid off magnificently. And then the, the rest of the book, you don't have to talk about very much all of the boring, low price PPAs that perhaps aren't as exciting yeah
1: okay okay
2: it's risk you know it's it's the attitude towards risk at the moment and, and i look i i i think there's a ro- still a role for federal policy uh, i believe that uh uh chris bowen has done a lot around the edges but it's almost like there's a backing band and we haven't got the main uh, act uh, out in front of the microphone right now uh, and so it, it doesn't really uh cutting through i think we myself we still need a centerpiece policy uh, something like the IRA in the United States, for example, that that uh, would in- incentivize the whole industry uh, to be able to take risk off its own bat without having to rely on things like uh, PPAs, which take forever to run, where the government picks the state government picks a winner, and then the market moves in the meantime, and you don't even want to do it.
1: Mm. Okay, oh, Tom,
3: yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's absolutely right. Right, we don't we don't have any decarbonisation policy at the moment or at least nothing where it's extremely clear what we should be doing and I was just you know if you look at what people are doing in the rest of the world they they might not be extremely uh, clever policies but they are certainly functional you know you see the the Americans just saying okay you, you don't have to pay tax on your profits for 10 years you get a tax holiday because they want cheap electricity and that's what they're going to get or the Europeans are saying we've got to get off Russia's gas we'll lend money to anybody who will help us do that and they're getting stuff deployed
2: and or they've got a carbon price a very high carbon they price they
3: do indeed have a carbon price so the, they 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 got they're waving big flags and saying what's what's out there or you look at China who are just saying we know we're going to have to build big transmission projects from the coast where everybody lives, to the west where all of the energy is, and they're just getting on with it, and they're not Yeah, by about, the way,
2: don't worry about the social license because uh, uh, we're yeah, doing it.
3: Yeah, it it do, that does make it easy, but it also does make it a lot easier when you're not charging a, um, costs back to the consumers. And we, we missed an incredible opportunity six years ago when steel was cheap and aluminium was cheap and debt was cheap, and it was the best time in our history to build transmission. And now it seems like it's the worst time to build transmission.
1: That's interesting, yeah. Look, um, we've been on the on air for about 45 minutes. I think we can just sort of wrap it up there. Um, I'm looking forward to the next week because we're going to be hearing um, from AIMO, the ESUS, some the end of the results season. Um, we're going to have the um, announcement, I think, from the New South Wales government on their plans and hopes for a Um It's going to be fascinating to see. Um, Tom uh, from Rondo Energy, thank you very much for coming on and talking about your technology. And um, look, it sounds exciting, and, uh, and all the best with it. Thanks, and thanks for having me. No, Thanks, man. Tom. Yeah, very good. And thank you, David. And um, look, thanks to all our listeners out there. Thanks, of course, as well for two sponsors, Evergen and Pylon. Um, do check out our other podcasts. Um, we're running some good ones at the moment. Solar Insiders is back on with an interesting interview with Andrew Wilson, formerly of University of Queensland, now CS Energy, talking about his own voyage in sort of home battery and solar and EVs and things like that. Um, we've got a fascinating interview with Rex Paris. He's a Republican mayor of a town in California that's going fully electric and fully green um and um and the driven podcast and we're talking about electric ferries anyway plenty to listen to um do check out the past episodes of um, energy insiders a fantastic um, interview we did last week on social license and um and um, many great episodes before that so um, thanks all for listening that's all from us this week we'll be back again next week with another episode of energy insiders bye for now
0: energy insiders was brought to you by evergen